0: Beep. Mm-hmm. is Dane Young, and you're listening to the End User Computing Podcast, episode number five. Uh, today I'm joined with a number of esteemed colleagues. Uh, Chris, why don't you start?
1: You always start with me. It's an alphabetical thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is. Uh, Chris, Chris Rogers, everyone. Yes, yeah, Chris Rogers, CTP, uh, Federal Vertical, IoT, and and I, I seem to have adopted recently the term general mayhem, so I'll, well, t- I'll answer
2: that,
0: too. Uh, this is Dane Young, and you're listening to the End User Computing Podcast, episode number five.
2: Thomas. Thanks, Thomas. i yeah.
0: joined <laughs> with a number of
3: students, uh, Chris. I'm having
0: deja vu. You can turn off the video now, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, if I can uh,
2: add to your introduction, you also yeah, do a great sorry. Doc Brown and a great Klingon, by the way. Uh, federal I was, was going to
1: say wait, wait till you see next synergy. Oh, wow. <laughs> the costume is already in preparation. So,
2: Okay, right. official.
0: It, it looks like Thomas got his audio issues worked out, so I think we're good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thomas. <laughs>
0: No comment? Nothing? You're not even going to speak up at this point? (laughs) I think he's
3: embarrassed. I
0: think he's busy
2: playing Star Wars Battlefront.
3: You see see my my picture, and that's how red my head is right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it wouldn't be a podcast without some technical challenges. Uh, Go ahead, Dwayne. Hi
4: there. Uh, Technical marketing engineer For Nutanix, MPP, MSS, Vexpert, all things VDI, I guess.
0: All things fun. And Thomas, Mr. Redman?
3: Yes, Thomas Pongard, and I'm a Citrix uh, technology professional and a Microsoft MVP, and this uh, ISVP. Steve?
2: And Steve Greenberg from Scottsdale, Arizona, also Citrix CTP, longtime integrator, tech consultant, and ready to talk about some cool stuff.
0: Very cool. Well, I think it's safe to say that the uh, live broadcast is working, so thank you for validating that, uh, Thomas. Um, why don't we, uh, it, it's been a little while since we've chatted, so let's, um, you know, it's probably three, four months or so. Uh, I think Bryform Denver was the last time that we uh, that we talked um, and a lot is a lot has happened in the industry since then so I know I've been busy with projects as I'm sure many of you guys have you know whether directly for your companies or for customers um, so why don't we go around the room and talk about anything that's uh, super interesting projects uh, either internal or external that you've been working on um, of course only share details that you're uh, allowed to share, um, but uh, just looking to see what you guys have been up to for the last couple of months. Well, I will have we... to
2: ask Chris. Does he have to kill us if he tells us what <laughs> he's doing?
0: Why, why, don't we, why don't we let Chris go last since his is public...
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, pretty innocuous for me, so I'm not not a big deal.
0: Yeah, let's go reverse order of, of the intro. Steve, uh, what you've been up to lately?
2: You know what the big deal right now? I'm having a great time with is hyperconvergence. Because it's picking up steam and we're doing projects now, multiple projects. And yep. customers are coming back and expanding it. And it's just the coolest thing. I don't know how much detail you want, but I'll just say hyperconverging, shrinking the data center, making storage, hypervisor, network, compute, all one, you know, blob that you can install and manage easily is the big deal right now for me. Very preach.
0: Cool. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> He's speaking Dwayne's language right there. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I know Dwayne was on it because he, he presented. Uh, the uh, actual tech media guys, um, Scott Lowe and Dave Davis, uh, did a uh, a megacast today, a hyper-converged infrastructure megacast, and I, I got a lot out of it. It was a lot of fun to uh, listen in while I was multitasking and doing other things. So any anything you want to add, Dwayne, from your perspective? I know you were on the, the webinar as well. No, it, it was a good time. I think
4: it was fairly... Uh... Everyone played nice and did their thing and I think the, the community would have had a, a good look into to what's out there. There's definitely lots there now.
0: <clears throat> yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's interesting, you know, everybody has their own spin on it and everybody has their own, you know, way of messaging and marketing. And it's yeah, it's interesting to see all the different topics that everybody focuses on. Some of them have overlap, but some of them are are different. Um, like the there were a couple companies there that I, you know, I've not run into, but that's because I deal mostly in the traditional enterprise IT stuff, not in the um, the OpenStack KVM Zen type of space. But there's definitely some interesting stuff going on uh, any way you look at it. So,
4: and I know on Twitter, uh, Keith Townsend, I think his name's correctly. He's kind of a I wouldn't say he's totally against hyperconvergence, but definitely a stalwart for like traditional storage and availability and kind of, you know, it, it hasn't changed in X amount of years, so it's a good thing. There's some proof points to that, but I think more people are, are coming around, and now that it's more of a mainstream uh, delivery mechanism, I think more people are, are coming to it. At least, I remember my first couple years at Nutanix, I'd be just saying... Hypervisor compute storage, hypervisor compute storage, like a million times. But we've, I think we've moved on from that now. So it's, it's pretty
0: awesome. Very cool, um, Thomas. <coughs> any, uh, any particular projects or? I, I know you've been busy having babies. So, anything you can talk about uh, work related?
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been, I've been really, really busy. Also work. They're work related because now now you gotta take care of a kid right? Yep. Um, yeah, so I work work primarily with uh, companies about the GPU uh, there's definitely a lot of interesting stuff happening um, so I've been working a lot with, with, with Grid 1.0 and also 2.0 so I got actually my hands on the 2.0 technology um, so that that's something we, we can talk about later. And also, I worked uh, a lot with, uh, with Intel, what they what they what they're doing. Um, and hard is also something I have done a lot with. Um, so you know, definitely that's where I can see most of the customers. When when everything comes down to it, it it's about data and processing data fast uh, getting that app working fast you know, many times of course you're working either in Citrix or Microsoft or VMware but at the end of the day it's about also getting the data processed and and I totally agree with, with Steve that that's that is one of the the most important things right now
2: hey Thomas do you, do you combine your GPU work with hyperconverged yet is that something yeah. you've done
3: yes yes uh, most of the time if I can I, I do that and I do actually have uh, quite a, a lot of uh, success stories with that uh, unfortunately I haven't <laughs> been making them into marketing material uh, but that's something I'm, I'm trying to do next year so you probably will see me uh, me talk about it at, at GTC and, and, and synergy hopefully um, so so yes I have I have actually where both uh, Putting in uh, GPU and hyperconverts, and also automating. So automating is something I'm, I'm trying to do, work a lot with, uh, making making uh, automating all kind of workflows, making more more intelligent. Um, that would be nice, uh, of course, in the future if you can even automate it even more intelligent. And I'm more thinking about like putting in AI, but that's not something where we are not there yet. But I think automate is really really important.
2: Are you talking uh, there about the basics of like configuring GPUs per VM and no. user? automated? I think
3: about, about automating everything from computers so when you get a computer and when you connect even to the clouds, automating all the, the, the process uh, from provisioning uh, infrastructure uh, and provisioning uh, application and application settings and everything even also when you're onboarding uh, uh, and offboarding users and companies. Um, so, and I think this is where actually a lot of companies they 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 can learn a lot with is automating the, the process. When you are when you are building, let's say, uh, an, an app environment, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely see a lot of companies where they're even doing it manually today. And I, I'm like, we are in two thousand fifteen. Why why do you have so many employees where they installing the apps manually? I I don't, I don't understand. Cool. So that's yeah, something we I, I do talk about with. have
0: seen a lot of that as well. Um, it's just like, oh, the manual method is good enough, and, and we can't justify spend CapEx to buy a tool that can do it better, so we'll just continue to do things the old-fashioned way. And, um, yeah, it's it, that's heartbreaking to me because I think people's lives matter, and the way that they spend their time is kind of important, and... I don't know, whether it's building servers or installing apps, there's there's a lot of room for efficiency.
3: Yeah, The, the interesting thing is, we, if we take all these kind of more GPU applications, right, if they're high GPU applications, a lot of times what I see is actually companies that they have their, they have an IT department, and then they have more these high-end users, and they have high-end admins. And when they are provisioning their images, then they, they get the high-end admins in, and they install the applications manually. Right? You know, just like, you know, I do understand that if you look at the, the when the data is getting down and the profiles is incredible big because that that these applications are, are a bit more complicated, but, you know, everything can be automated. That's, and, and for a lot of people there, they're like, you know, surprised it can. Um, I would say that not everything can be, if you more look at at app levels, like AppV, and of course, then there's all the other vendors, in uh, from VMware and also Citrix, they're doing with the App Disk, uh, and yeah, FS Logic, and that's you know, that's where I I am like, yeah, that's that's what a lot of people want to do. But again, uh, okay, what can be, what can we put inside the app layering? What can't we do? Right. Uh, yep. So.
0: Um... Dwayne, uh, maybe you can share some of the things you've been working on. I know um, you have the next community podcast that you're actively involved in. What what other kinds of things uh, in the day job have you uh, been been up to?
4: So I've taken kind of a left turn uh, with VDI and went into a dupe of all things. So that's kind of <laughs> been, right. uh, yeah, it, uh, it's great kind of, you know, Broadening the horizons. I don't know how to best describe it, but so that's been actually taking uh, Quite a bit of time running running some RAs on our Acropolis hypervisor mm-hmm. um, And then I guess the big news for EUC on our side is just the uh, Acropolis and Citrix announcements wow. um, Getting that uh, Get that going Interesting, you know talking about GPUs we, um, There isn't that support today for the Acropolis hypervisor, but just uh, a ton of requests coming down down that pipe. So yep, yay,
0: <laughs> yay! <laughs> just like the uh, the hyperconverged megacast makes you super happy, uh, you just made Thomas <laughs> super happy.
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's inevitable. Every every application is getting more 3D. Like pretty soon, you won't even be able to use Office without a dedicated GPU. Yeah. Is kind of where it's all where it's all going. Yeah, um, yeah those are those are the big things and. Yeah, the life goes round and round.
0: And don't anyone forget that uh, just because you added a GPU to hyperconverged infrastructure, all of a sudden it makes it ultra-mega-converged infrastructure. So.
4: Oh, it, it runs five times better when it's hyper-converged.
0: <laughs> but
4: there, there are opportunities for vendors. That's why it was interesting listening to Thomas talk about what, what he wants to automate, because you can automate the install and get the driver set up, um, but how do you... You know, make sure the upgrade the next time you come and upgrade the box that works out, and obviously all the work with the end users, which is is super important. Very cool.
0: And Chris, uh, anything you can share?
1: Lots of stuff I can share. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, currently consulting for a federally subsidized mortgage corporation, which gives you. One of two choices, and yes, it's as bad as you think it might be, um, but hey, that's why they pay me to apply Clue where there is none, and I <laughs> usually fail, so, but whatever. So uh, we had actually been having an interesting conversation on our mailing list about uh, their desired use of RDP proxy, <sighs> yeah. and the wonderful security conversations we've been having around that, so always a good thing, but uh, I think the funniest
0: part of that uh, was when you added the disclaimer that, by the way, it's RDP proxy, but they're accessing via ZenApp session. I was like, "What? Wait, what?" Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it, it, It's interesting, and I mean, you know, some of the some of the guys can, I'm sure, appreciate. I know Steve can appreciate this, and I'm pretty sure Dwayne uh, probably runs into this as well in in their day to day. You have so many of these people that are stuck. You know, they have a way that they're doing things. They have a, 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 a known Zen app. I know Zen app. Zen app works. Okay, what can I build around Zen app? How can I do this in the way that I'm used to? In spite of whatever expert consultant vendor coming in saying, no, 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 you did that that way five years ago, 10 years ago in some 15 years ago in some cases. And all of a sudden, here they come saying, okay, we want to do this and we want to do it this way. And they just will not listen. When you say no, there's a much better way of doing this now. And at the end of the day, that's their system, and you do it the way they want. So that's exactly. uh, that's right. kind of that's kind of the world we live in.
0: They're the customer, and they're the ones paying the bills. So that's yeah. it. even if it's not optimal, yeah. it's but the other,
1: of course, the other cool stuff is in my spare time, and that is IoT. And yeah. uh, so I have a I have a session. I'm doing at summit that is basically, in a nutshell, I'm calling it IOT, so simple a sales guy can do it. To be followed on, hopefully, not accepted yet, but we'll see if it gets accepted uh, by Geek Speak Session Synergy. What's that? Sales guy. Sales guys, yeah. So simple a sales guy can do it. Um, But to be followed on, hopefully, in May, if it gets accepted, I hope it does, uh, by IOT, so simple a 10-year-old can do it. And that'll, te- that'll tease that'll tease out a little bit because
2: I'm and working. Th- and this the- is why Chris is so popular among the sales guys and the ten year olds. <laughs> <laughs> hey Dave, I'm I am jumping at the bit to respond. I'm hearing such amazing things. Let's hear what you've done because I want to jump in. I've got questions for everyone. Yeah.
0: About- um, so yeah, my mine's pretty simple. Um, the the conference season kind of uh, hit cranked down a notch, and I've been on a fairly large design project for. Uh, the last couple months and then also uh, was involved uh, when Citrix uh, did their workspace cloud, workspace cloud launch event um, in Santa Clara so that was kind of a highlight for the last uh, quarter or so for me um, but other than that just uh, really excited about stuff that I'm working on on a day-to-day basis um, the design project had me dabbling in all kinds of stuff in my free time including all of the layering technologies that are out there and trying to figure out what, what would be the best match for, uh, for this environment. So lots of fun stuff going on, um, but, yeah, I agree with Steve. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive into it. So um, maybe the first one, and this is just an open dialogue, um, what are all, all your thoughts about the, uh, the Dell EMC acquisition? You know, I think the, the word on the street is that it's the largest tech acquisition of all time. Um, it's not the largest acquisition, but certainly the largest tech acquisition. And I, I think, you know, to be around and in the space when something like that happens, it's pretty impactful. Um, so what do, you, what do you guys think?
2: Talk well, about fine. hyperconverged.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, it's interesting timing-wise. I just came from lunch with a big customer, a major national retailer, who's been like a diet and true EMC shop for a very, very long time. And now they're first saying the words, you know, maybe we'll be on another platform, right? This is expensive, which everyone's thought for a long time. But when people of that size are questioning it, um, there's a big shift going on here. His feedback was he thought it was so much money for what they're buying. But what I was saying is EMC is definitely on the way down in terms of adoption and customers maintaining it. But it's still a huge market. And if Dell can twist it right and retool it, they have a tremendous opportunity. So it's like everything else. It's how well you execute. But I think it's a smart move. I think it's easy to to write EMC off because they're the big expensive three-letter name guy. But, you know, Dell's good at commodity, and they could take a lot of those customers and products and make them, um, you know, cheaper and better.
0: Yeah, and I I think, you know, Steve, you... You guys are HP partner as well, so you probably remember the internal rumor mill maybe a year, year and a half ago about uh, HP potentially picking them up. Um, and I just think it's interesting how the chips landed. I, I don't think there is a another better company to have picked up EMC, and I think it's it's probably a good fit for Dell.
2: I also like this trend of going private. I think it's cool, so I'm optimistic.
0: Yep can agree with you more on the the notion of going private. Yeah, it's
4: you know, what are the downfalls if it fails? So I don't, I don't think it'll fail, but it is. It's got a lot of moving parts. Uh, to me, what's interesting is more is that now you have a compute vendor owning a hypervisor. Essentially, it's one thing when EMC was just you know kind of controlled VMware to some degree. It's a lot different when you have a compute environment doing it. So. You know, I, I thought when I heard that, my kind of gut feeling was, okay, well, it's 60 days until someone buys Red Hat, but that obviously hasn't happened. So, And, and that being said, all the analysts never saw this coming either, so we all just, you know, just all talk at the moment. So.
2: Hey, but Dwayne, that's why I was chomping at the bit to come back to you because you were mentioning Acropolis and the hypervisor that Nutanix offers. And, like, look at that contrast. Dell buys EMC on the one hand. And in contrast, you have Nutanix with their own essentially free hypervisor, right? What a contrast. Like, what does that say about the market? That's just huge. And, you know, what does that mean, right?
4: Yeah, no, it, uh, that's exactly it. I don't think, uh, there'll be some sales teams on our side trying to push, you know, it's cheaper, but I think it's really just about controlling your own fate at this point, Uh it, uh, the next, you know, IT is never boring, so it'll it'll continue to intrigue.
0: That's one of the things I love about IT. Right? It's uh, definitely not a career you get into if you want to do the same thing 20 years from now.
4: But but that's the funny thing. We already, you know, we just brought up on the the podcast that meeting IT people, they don't like to learn. Essentially, is what it comes down to. You know, not that not that we all have the right way, but you know, to be open and willingness to learn something is something different, too.
2: You know, but to be fair, it's ridiculously hard, too. You know, I mean, you have to make an effort and you have to progress, but, like, all of us are very well-established and experts at what we do, and, like, every day is just a constant barrage of what I don't know.
0: <laughs> I would agree with you there, Steve, and that, you That's know, when true, Dwayne was too. talking about learning to do to do these RAs, I'm like, oh, man, that sounds fun, <laughs> Break into something that you know you don't normally do, like whether it's a dupe or you know OpenStack or some some of those other technologies that don't fall smack in the middle of the end-user computing stuff, the stuff that pays most of our bills. Uh, that that actually w- would be kind of cool to get an opportunity to go try something new for a little while. So, I applaud you for that, Dwayne.
3: Um, Thank so you, I have some input about the Dell EMC acquisition. I have actually been seeing. Uh, Different opinion, and also already some people who are taking some negative actions on it. Um, reason why I'm saying this so because some of the countries I've been in, I've uh, already now been seeing some of the people that work together with Dell now are actually, you know, they're backing off. And uh, I think it's because people are a bit afraid of what it means when uh, Dell and VMware now are they going massively attack against, let's say, Citrix customer base. And uh, well, everything I think,
1: I think their attack vector is against almost everyone. I mean, you have storage, and compute, and hypervisor, and applications, and all that other kind of things. So again, hyper-converged. Here, have a Dell machine that has everything on it that you don't have to do a single thing with. And oh, by the way, I don't think they'll do this, but you know, it's a possibility. VMware only runs on Dell. I don't think they'll do that, but it's in the back of my mind. Yeah, it's a great thing to spin.
0: Did you guys read the uh, the article of all the assets Dell is talking about selling off in order to uh, afford uh, the the amount of funding that it's going to require to p- pick up EMC? Did you guys see that article?
4: No, but uh, do tell.
0: Yeah, well, it's not just rumor. If it's uh, if it's in an article, I'm not just spreading FUD. But they're talking about um, selling off. A um, couple of different business units, including uh, our friends Quest Software, which make V Workspace and other products. Um, selling off uh, App Assure. Um, uh, what is it? Sonic Wall, uh, the firewall business. And then um, was, I'm trying to think. There, there's one more.
3: What about Equalogic?
0: No, Equalogic is, uh, is going to stay in the same business unit that EMC would end up being uh, dropped into. But those those were some of the interest. Oh, oh, that was the other one. Uh, you guys remember Perot Systems? Ever work with Perot Systems? It's uh, that's another target for uh, what what Dell's looking to sell off. They I guess they need to raise about ten billion dollars to help fund the sixty nine or whatever billion that uh, the EMC acquisition is going to require. And this was one of their ways of getting that ten billion is Quest, SonicWall, Aperture, and and Perot. So. Should, should be quite interesting.
4: How would you feel if you were one of those companies, Good Grief, or one of those products? No kidding. I <laughs> feel, uh, <laughs> feel sorry for the sales teams involved and, well, actually, everybody. <laughs> but, Dean, yeah. just
2: to add a big point there, the, um, while they're looking at divesting uh, those groups, they're also stating clearly now that they will not break up EMC. So, you know, their, their goal is to keep EMC intact, which is, is interesting. So it yeah. tells you something about their strategy. Yep. I don't so think do you, they're going to be as disruptive as we might think. Like Chris was saying they could like sort of, you know, steer VMware and make it proprietary, but I don't think Michael Dell's like really that much of an innovator. I I see this as more like he's going to keep it the same and then make incremental changes.
1: I'm, I'm honestly on the fence about that, because I could see it going one of two ways. I could see um, Dell, you know, be it Michael Dell or whomever else, or the board, or, or saying we have an opportunity that we now own the 800-pound gorilla in the virtualization market. We have an opportunity to flex that muscle and really make an impact in the market. Or we just let it go as it is and let it be a revenue stream like it is, and we're good. Knowing business like I know business, I am I'm, I'm erring on the side of flexing the muscle, because I think I think they're I think they're going to do it because they can, they think they can anyway.
2: All right, so what does that look like? They they get their products to them, and they go, oh, you only get the new version of VMware on Dell hardware, that kind of thing. Yeah, I,
1: I think that, you know, whatever new brand spanking hyper-converged thing that they have to compete with, you name it, Nutanix, Moonshot, whatever, um, then, you know, that's that's the brand, that's the shiny new stuff that you only get in this way.
0: Well, I, I, won't, I won't be that guy that uh, puts Dwayne in a tough spot uh, with NDA content, but I have to imagine that this has some impact on the Dell Nutanix relationship um as it relates to OEM. But I yeah, don't want to I put you in a weird spot because well, I'm sure you have information. I have
4: that, yeah. I have my own weird mixed messaging with it, but the you have to realize like so deal won't come for another six months. The the Dell sales teams and you know, they're they already have quota that they have to carry. Um Dell announced two new products on the Nutanix side. So there won't be any any changing, but you can definitely see it coming. They did they did buy the our largest competitor in a way um, to some regards. So I don't know. It's interesting. But then you like on the HCI Mega Cast you have another HCI vendor getting Dell hardware. So it wasn't an OEM, but it's still, you know, Dell's becoming, like, a, a giant CDW in some weird way, um, yeah. you know, par- partner with everybody.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. They're like a meta-supplier now, right? It goes beyond <laughs> just providing computers. It's got different dimensions. But to Chris's conspiracy theory, the, the more subtle version would be they release a fully totally hyper product that comes with VMware and storage and everything in one, and and they essentially... Discounted out, right? Because they can. Yep. So
0: it's called Del Evo Rail. Let's make it. Yeah. Happen. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, tongue in cheek on that one. <laughs> no, actually, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> All right. So um, on the topic of uh, divesting, um, let's let's change gears a little bit. Talk about um, uh, our our friends. I think near and dear to every single one of us on this call, Citrix. Um, you know the. The one that is in the limelight with uh, Elliot being involved and all of that is the go-to business. I think it's been confirmed at this point, but I'd, I don't know for sure if it's you know 100% said and done. But uh, what are your guys' thoughts on that? What are some products that uh, you're vehemently opposed to them spinning off? What are some of your other uh, ideas on our, our topic around Citrix? Can I just something?
3: They just, they just announced it right now. On right their, yeah, on the Citrix. So they're spinning off the entire GoToMeeting, meeting, GoTo family.
0: Well, you're going to send me to the Googles, aren't you?
2: <laughs> Google is your friend. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah so okay. that is in the last hour.
3: See podcasts announcing from the first time Citrix's GoTo family of products.
0: All right, so I'm I'm going to throw this link into the uh, the tweet chat because I I think I found the one you're talking about is the ZDNet the net article there's
2: a venture beat too. 2 I'll throw it in there
0: yep well this just in folks this just <laughs> just in. <laughs> there's the, there's the official
1: one on citrixcom
0: yep thank you for uh, for spotting that um, thanks Anton for uh, dropping it in the chat uh, I guess it's it's no more fud uh, they, it's it's a done deal so let's uh, you know let's Dane, if I
2: could say to your point spinning off the go-to brand it makes sense. That was, you know, nailed and glued together kind of awkwardly from the beginning. Um, So I I can get behind that. The one that makes no sense and shows Elliot's total ignorance is spinning off NetScaler. That's just ridiculous. NetScaler is integral to both the ecosystem of the Citrix EUC products and to their networking cloud, you know, business. So splitting just makes no sense. It shows they don't understand the market.
1: Well, but, again, you know, is it is it a little bit of misdirection, too? You know, we want A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, and, oh, by the way, we don't really want G, but we'll just throw it out there just so you think you're getting something back when we don't actually get G.
2: So, basically, you know? if you say, I want a pony and a puppy and a kitty, you might get a <laughs> pony.
0: Yeah, you know, but you really wanted the pony. You know, it is Christmas time <laughs> coming up, so... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could spring together and, and get all of the above.
4: <laughs> and... And that's why you go private like Dell, so you don't have to deal with that stuff.
0: Exactly, and it all comes back around. And thank you for tying that together, Dwayne. Very well said.
3: I think it's also uh, sad because what does it mean as us as CTPs? Do we meet? Do we lose all the access that go to go to products? Uh oh. Use every day.
2: Uh oh. <laughs> this is coming home, Thomas. <laughs> all- <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm sorry. I I will pay for GoToMeeting as opposed to paying for WebEx because I like <laughs> GoToMeeting, Go you Meeting know, doesn't I'll suck. pay for it. Yeah, so it if that's the me. case, then that's the case.
0: Because it sucks less.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Going a little deeper. Uh, Dane, I don't think Elliot has this visibility. There are a lot of interesting products that Citrix scooped up over the years. I'm not just saying they should are being considered to be spinned off, but things like AppDNA, ZenServer, and some others are probably underutilized, right? Because they kind of go to platinum to die or, you know, they don't get fed. So that's an interesting thing too. Can, could Citrix spin off some of these great technologies into startup companies?
1: Well, Zen server I would argue is already spun off I mean it's open source it's doing it's thing and you know Citrix w- wants to keep going with it then great if it doesn't you know what I'll still use it I'll still help develop with it that's fine
2: and Esther's jumping in on the chat saying spinning spinning off the net is not part of the current strategy as far as the articles are saying
0: there you go okay so yeah I think anytime that there's Outside influence. There's a lot of rumors that happen, and you know, sifting through the rumors to find the real meat. Um, it's unfortunate, but sometimes you just have to go by what's public, and you know, articles when they say yes, it's official. Um, we're we are doing X, Y, and Z because up until that point, it's there's just a lot of speculation. So it's good stuff. Um, so uh, along those lines, um, you know, obviously some new products from Citrix. Uh, I, I mentioned one of the events that I was involved in about a month or so back, month and a half ago, was the Workspace Cloud launch event. Um, what what are you guys seeing in the market? Uh, what are you guys thoughts? Uh, I'm I'm obviously very very passionate about it. Um, you know, mostly due to CTP program have had really good access to the product managers and uh, the folks that are making things happen um, for for Workspace Cloud Uh, what are you guys seeing in terms of the field and and any interest from customers um, or any deployments potentially
3: I I can come with some so I have actually uh, customers that are looking at it who are already Citrix customers and um, they look at it and then they look away again which okay. is a bit interesting, um, and and the same thing is actually some of the clients I work with they also looking at Azure and then they they look at Azure and then they look away again because they think when uh, you know when they do the, the calculation on, on, on the cost uh, for them it's too expensive. Um, I would then then say everything depends on 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 what the requirement is. Um, licensing. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, I I can say firsthand that is a fluid discussion right now. Um, everybody is trying to get their arms wrapped around what what is reasonable, um, what's what's the market willing to bear. Um, obviously, moving from a, a capex perpetual license model to even an annual, it fits for some customers, doesn't fit for others. But then when you add in the dynamic of you know a monthly subscription basis, it it makes that discussion even that much more convoluted so, I think go ahead maybe a metric
4: would be like they need to tie it back to savings of some kind if it's going to save you a resource from managing then you could justify the bill of it so I don't know I don't know what work's been done in that department
0: yeah I think it's still very very early <laughs> stage um, from my perspective I mean that the definitely key part that is a. Huge differentiator that's not there if you just buy the on-premises products. That I, I think it's still over, uh, uh, overlooked a little bit because there's not been enough work uh, touting it. Is the lifecycle management piece? Yes. Um, w- when you talk about ROI, uh, you know, we we started the discussion about uh, automation and doing things more intelligently and all of that. It, tools like Lifecycle Manager, you know, what Citrix acquired, which was Scale Extreme. That is now the core of lifecycle manager. That, that's really where you build a compelling ROI, is showing cost savings justification for uh, automation. But again, to your point, um, you know it's still fairly early in the market. And I don't think that level of effort has uh, has gone into it yet. Um, but I, I do know that from the from the top level of the Workspace Cloud Group, they're they're very interested to talk to customers and get feedback real time if, you know, the quote-unquote list pricing or what they're seeing in the field for pricing doesn't quite line up with with their business model. Um, they've, they've very much expressed interest in in partnering together and working through this.
2: I, I would agree with that, Dane. I think it's clear that they're looking to find the, the market price, but I think it was Dwayne mentioned, you know, resources. So if you look at a basic... Citrix EUC environment, it's 20-something VMs, right, to bring it up redundant, build up all the roles and so forth. It's just a general number, but it's a common one we see in our projects. You take an organization with a limited IT staff, someone who doesn't have the skill, kind of like Chris was commenting on in the past, you're going, hey, dude, manage 22 more VMs, (laughs) right, to run run these desktops. And Citrix Workspace steps in and goes, no, no, here's just this edge you know, workspace control server. It's going to be automatically updated. It's pretty compelling idea. I tested it. I like it. But I was surprised when I presented it to a customer who's doing a refresh from an old Zen app to an FMA-based, you know, 7.6 environment. They're going to expand. They're also going to move it to a colo. And they're pretty interested exactly for that reason. You know, do they want to build and maintain all this infrastructure? They just care about their physician desktop. They don't care right. about storefront and licensing and SQL and all this crap, right? They just want to give their users the tools that they need. So I don't know if it's there today, but it's a very compelling story. And the most, the most important thing for me is it's getting Citrix to think about consolidating and making things scalable and cloud-like. And I think one of the greatest benefits is going to be seeing some of that come back to the on-prem product And then one last comment is there is also a discussion. I don't know how official it is yet for another price for people that own the licenses and want to just add the management. And I think that's exciting. So it's, you know, it's like the customer case I brought up. They're going to refresh their environment. They already own every, all the licenses they need. They can pay a a fee to potentially just use the control plane, not for the actual license. So we'll see if that pans out.
0: Very cool. Um, a- any other thoughts on, on those lines, either uh, lifecycle management or uh, Workspace Cloud?
3: I think uh, some some positive thing I've seen actually is, is with some U.S. customers is that Citrix actually very... They're really helping and, and trying to, to you know, onboard the customers, also existing Citrix customers on, on the Workspace. Um, but, you know, they just need a lot of help you know, and that's why the more information that's available, the easier it is. Because the key to make it a success is simplify. Well, it's it's
1: the it's their competitive edge, and it has to be their competitive edge because all of a sudden you read some articles, you read some uh, reviews and industry analysis, you see, you hear. Whether it's true or not, that views catching up to Zen Desktop. Okay, views catching up to Zen Desktop. Therefore, what does Citrix have to, do, have to do to maintain or increase their competitive lead? Okay, cloud service, in my book, is a really good way of doing it.
4: Has Has anyone seen or been a part of the the Enzo beta? I know it's at customer sites, but I I haven't seen it from the, the vendor side.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, what. Well, what happens is that um, it it becomes a revenue generating opportunity, and those revenue generating opportunities are the ones that get early access. Um, I yeah, I've I've been signed up for the beta for some time now. I'm hoping to get access to it probably early 2016, um, but I I get the impression that it's probably still another six to nine, maybe twelve months out before it's ready to, to GA and make um, put put in the hands of real customers, not just um, integrators or partners.
2: It, so, it's also very ambitious, so it's probably going to, like anything else, going to have phases, right, of different feature sets. Um, but it's a great concept. I mean, when it's real and tangible and solid, wow, it's good stuff.
0: Yeah, and I, I think ultimately that that will keep Citrix on their toes as well, um, like, like anything, and you know, frankly, just taking my CTP hat off for a second, I, I think it's great for the industry, and I think it's great for the world that we live in. I mean, you know, we we all entered IT for various reasons, but at the end of the day, I like seeing innovation, and I like seeing the you know the ball move down the field, if you will. And I think uh, uh, having multiple solutions in the market makes everybody better. So I think it's great. Um, one thing that I have really enjoyed seeing since Workspace Cloud launched is how Citrix has become very proactive about developing net new offerings and services. Um, the the browser app service was a, a good example of that. Um, being able to go up into Workspace Cloud, plug in a URL and have it be hosted off of a ZenApp published app um, browser uh, available from anywhere. I think that's that's awesome innovation. And you know, if that was an on-prem product, it probably would have taken Citrix, you know, six to 12 months longer to get something that they were willing to put in the hands of customers uh, in that type of capacity. And then they kind of followed that up with the uh, the AppDNA Express service, throw an MSI up there, and see if it spits back, hey, it's compatible. Hey, it's not compatible with Windows 10. Uh, it's it's little teasers like that that um help encourage customers or not, do I need um, do I need the full paid for product like uh like App DNA full edition that's available in platinum. Stuff like that is pretty cool to watch.
2: Well Dane, I just have to second what you're saying. Citrix deserves major props for the development cycle of CWC and some of these other tools and life cycle. Because we were in early, you know, crashing alphas and like before <laughs> you could complain you know, it would be fixed, and, and your ed server or your workspace connector server would be updated, and you'd be like, wow, it, it, they fixed it, you know? I mean, it was like right in front of your eyes, and um, that's, that's amazing to see where that's going to go.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and I think that innovation will ultimately feed back into the on-prem products. So for the customers that are in Chris's space that will never touch a public cloud anything, any day, Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> they still get to benefit from those innovations. They just have a longer lead time that they have to wait. <laughs> so, yeah, it's cool stuff. So, speaking of uh, new and innovating stuff, um, it, it's, it's almost Christmas and New Year's time, so that means that uh, 2016 is right around the corner, and Microsoft is, is at it, as always, uh, keeping new innovations coming. Um, I I want to talk about both Server 2016 and and new things that you guys are seeing there, as well as Windows 10. So who who wants to kick it off?
4: I'll uh, I'll take first stab at Windows 2016 for for RDS. Okay, cool. I think I was just listening to um, a program manager or a product manager talk about some of the things or under, underpinning things for RDS is it was interesting because the conversation made it sound like they had to do a bunch of re or, you know rewrite work uh, to get it running for Azure, which seems kind of crazy because it's already pretty embedded uh, into Windows 2012. So um, there's a, a personal session desktop, so they've they've kind of actually built in a new feature menu. Um, I think it's you know has a more of a tie-in for remote FX. Um, <clears throat> There are some things that I don't really, you know, I don't really see it'll make much difference. Like pen remoting, like I don't, I never, <laughs> I never use those things anyway. But I guess probably the big thing, and maybe Thomas can comment on it too, is uh, remote FX getting some more added support for their their yeah. GP or what they do
3: on um, uh, OpenGL. You're not asking me about that. So I just come from Microsoft the uh, MVP summit, and everything is NDA. That that's. Uh, uh, what, what I can say is, is that, you know, Microsoft is definitely changing and, and the outcome. So for, for me, it was my first MVP uh, summit and also first being part of the program. And, and after listening, um, without breaking any uh, legal things, uh, uh, it, was, it was the right moment, I right was uh with yeah. a lot of people that have been there for years. Then yeah, Microsoft is innovating now and changing. And, and really re- moving fast. And you can see that with Windows 10, with Azure, with Office 365, you know, and next, you know, when Windows uh, Server 2016 coming, you you know, they have already announced that they are supporting GPUs in Azure. That's Hyper-V with Pass-through, uh, you know. And, and they have also, what I, s- I know in public is that they are, are, are working on with the OpenGL support uh, for, uh, Remote effects, uh, and that's that's a big thing. Uh, so it means that they are optimizing everything and they are embracing a lot of stuff. Um, the pass the pass through is huge because they don't have that today
4: with uh, Windows like uh, twenty twelve. If you're gonna run Hyper V, there's no way to to bypass through anything. So that would have required some work.
3: It, it does, and and uh, yeah, well. You can even just look at the, the the Xbox. If you have an Xbox One, um, how many of you guys have an Xbox
4: One? That was, that was one of my wedding gifts.
0: <laughs>
4: I got that, and my wife got a camera. So I think i think
0: you, I think you made out better. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so there goes some rumors, uh, actually, about that, uh, because they just rolled out Windows 10 now on the Xbox One. And, uh, well, is, is the Xbox One running on Hyper-V? Yep. Uh, that's the question. And that would make sense if it is, and if they're using, let's say, um, I don't know, it's just fun. It,
4: it, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, the the only other thing I wanted to add about twenty twelve, which I, they're they have releasing multi point services, so basically
0: twenty sixteen, bro, get with the times, don't take us back in time, man.
4: I, I could it's do it. It's that it's not easy. <laughs> But uh, uh, multi-point services are so basically
2: <laughs> engage the drive. Brown. 88
0: miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, but,
4: yeah, the multi-points are basically putting a, a VVI deployment. I, I guess it's more SMB-based, but I just don't see why anyone would want to do this in this day and age. But they're creating creating the offering anyway.
0: Yeah, and it's not really creating. They've had it for a little while, but I think it's just fully integrating it into actually being a a managed role um, on 2016. Um, I started playing around with it just a little bit to see how was it different than RDS, and it actually reminded me, um, and this goes way back, well, maybe not way back, um, but did you guys ever work with uh, in Computing when they first came onto the scene? Definitely. Yep. So yep. so I, you know, I got my first... Dane, just
2: by the way, that's not way back, but okay.
0: I know, I know. <laughs> way back for me. That's for us young
4: whippersnappers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so in computing, some some of my first experiences with uh, centralized compute, um, well, one was running RDP and, and doing terminal services on Server 2000, um, but when I was working at a school district, we had these... Uh, I was actually the, the main advocate. I got the demo units and said, oh, this would be the coolest thing because we can run Reader Rabbit on one of these machines in the corner and then have four, three or four, however many terminals that are connected off of them. They were the um, uh, the X300s. Um, I know you, I'm probably way out to lunch, but it's basically the same thing as multipoint services. Uh, it's, it's a dumb terminal that sits connected via an Ethernet jack to the main computer and then the main computer is where all the apps run off of. Um, and, and that's kind of, as I was researching on channel nine and whatnot for multipoint, that's basically what they've done, but they've pulled it in into a windows server role now.
2: That, it's an interesting point, Dane, because end um, computing did actually do that model first. They weren't using a remote protocol in the early days. They were, they had a multi card that sent, I guess like the frame buffer or the, you know, the, Rendered video out to the units. It was kind of cool. It was kind of meant to be like in the same room it,
0: it for a short cool. run. We we used them all the way up until Microsoft got really pissed off with them um, because you know they were basically using a one to four Windows XP or 2000 at the time license and yep. not licensing all these different terminals. So, I mean, the fact that come full circle, Microsoft is putting out a solution that. Uh, does this that doesn't violate their own licensing is kind of interesting from my perspective.
2: Totally agree. Hey I also want to add from the chat room from Marius, um, Storage Spaces Direct, and that brings up the implications of 2016 and Windows 10 are really deep. I mean, Microsoft's just doing so much development and innovation, and with Storage Spaces Direct and some of their generally infrastructure pieces, they're, they're basically deploying software-defined storage And they're putting in replication across servers, which is kind of the missing piece that's always there. That's why you need shared storage and you want replication of data for redundancy. And that stuff's in 2016. You know, is it really good or is it Microsoft good? We got to see, you know, as we start using it. But it's a game changer. I mean, they're giving you the platform, you know, to basically build clouds with cheap storage.
0: Love it. Um, anyone else on the uh, 2016? Um, oh, Nano. Who who wants to bring up uh, discussions around Nano?
3: <laughs> so uh, I, I think actually Nano Nano Server is, is going to be a huge thing. And so people who don't know what Nano Server is, so it's 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 uh, it's a uh, how can you say uh, a tiny. A server with uh, no GUI and it's uh, it's not it's not like server core uh, they, they, they stripped they, they really stripped the, the OS down uh, so everything is is, is, in, is running in, in a command line interface and you're configuring with PowerShell and that's what Microsoft they want to take you is you know configure everything with PowerShell uh, they're trying to also minimize the, 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 the footprint and um, so you don't have to reboot a lot of times, and they're also enhancing the security. So it, I think this is, will be the the future of servers in 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 the data centers because these are very small, efficient uh, servers that exactly is doing one thing.
2: Well, Thomas, I think you're right because the one thing that Microsoft hadn't really overcome yet is you know the comparison to Linux, like, hey, I can do this tiny little image and only compile in the kernel what I want there. They've got it, you know. They've got this tiny little nano server. It can run Hyper-V. It can run file server. It can do various roles. It's freaking tiny, you know, and you control it from command line. It's it's really like uh, they've filled a major gap, I think.
4: The beauty of IT, everything comes full circle, you know, Throw everything in, take everything out. Uh, so, but I, I agree. I think it's going to be big. I think there's like a larger container story that uh, around it too. Um, it's probably driving some of it. I, like as far as deploying desktops, like if you had Server Core or or Nano, I don't know if it's going to. Maybe it'll gain you an extra desktop or maybe two. I don't know what it'll be, but right. Um, it, it, interesting, nonetheless.
2: <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm getting my information from Google. I haven't tested it, but um, they're claiming significantly greater scalability, a lot less reboots, a lot less patches. So it, it seems like it's not a small gain. You know, it seems like a pretty big one.
3: And and what I can add is so I met one of the the it was actually a woman. She had developed a, a product so you can remote into PowerShell called. Uh, PowerShell Direct. Have you guys ever heard about that? I've heard of
0: PowerShell remoting, but I haven't heard of PowerShell Direct.
3: So PowerShell Direct is actually, I think, it's going to be one of the tools we we will using for for uh, for the Nano Server when we are configuring with with PowerShell. So so watch out for that one. Not sure Hello? what
0: that noise is. <laughs> Did you guys hear that noise as well? Sorry about that.
2: <laughs> um, but we got Marius. Uh, and, um... Okay, so uh,
3: what I was saying is, is, is PowerShell Direct. You can, you can actually remote uh, Windows 10 or even, you know, um, the, the new technical previews. But, you know, maybe that would be one of the tools we'd be using for the Nano servers. That's so that's not something uh, that I think you should, uh, that. We should look at. If you're looking at PowerShell, but maybe yeah.
2: Got it. Lots of good feedback in the chat too, Dane.
3: Well, yeah.
0: No, I'm trying to multitask. <laughs> <can't remember> <laughs> That's why out here.
2: Both uh, Rory and Marius are bringing up um, nano and containers. Yeah. And of course is throwing in Not versus Docker Turbo.net versus Docker. Um, and Aaron's giving a clarification that storage spaces direct is targeting SMB rather than enterprise, which is cool, but I'm sure they're going to want to grow it. So again, it's that same thing. Dwayne's talking about, you know, circles and patterns. It'll start as a smaller solution and grow, but a uh, lot of interesting stuff, a lot of interesting comments too. Thanks guys.
0: Yeah, appreciate it. And I think, you know, from my perspective, if Nano is anything like server core, um, which has been around for I want to say two or three releases now. I think it first came out in 2008, I want to say, maybe 2008 R2. And it's interesting because where I would see server core being the most natural fit in the world, removing the GUI, removing the patch footprint, the attack vector, everything else, would actually be Hyper-V. And we've done quite a few Hyper-V deployments, and it's interesting to me how many of the customers insist on doing data center and then insist on leaving the GUI on there primarily for troubleshooting purposes because the, the, the skill set just isn't there today to fully navigate through PowerShell to get to all of the troubleshooting skills or, or the troubleshooting tools that are needed. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really curious how much that's going to change with Nano Even if it's just in a Hyper V use case, which would kind of be the most obvious fit for me. Um, Any thoughts on that? Any of you guys seen anything? Windows
1: admins are not Unix admins.
0: Well said, Chris. I think you summed it up beautifully.
3: So so that's actually why I think Microsoft is actually telling people now to to make a decision and make them, you know, you want to be like a programmer, developer, and, you know, because that's. You got to choose what what you're going to work with. Yep.
0: Um, any anyone else that's been doing Hyper-V deployments? How many how many of those deployments do they leave the GUI on, or you come back six months from the time that it is deployed and the GUI is back on there? Do you work? Oh,
4: we we have it turned off by default, but. I know uh, you can come back and someone's tried installing it uh, on our side, but I I think it's it's interesting, like, the other problem on the Hyper-V side is uh, SCVMM and the actual Hyper-V manager, um, there's some nuances between them which would drive you to do that, so.
0: um. Yeah, I I wasn't going to throw SCVMM uh, under the bus again. (laughs) <laughs>
4: I like I like doing that in printers every every show, if possible.
2: If I can see, Yeah, licensing next. Coming up next, licensing. <laughs> Dan, I have to say, that was the reason for my comment, is it good or Microsoft good? Because we've done a lot of Hyper-V deployments, and now that they're baked in, it, it's not really that good. It's Microsoft good. Right. It, if you know what I'm saying. Just as an overall comparison to other hypervisors and unified storage solutions, um, just a comment.
0: Yep, makes sense. Let's see, um, a- any other topics on uh, 16 before we move over to uh, talk about Windows 10? Obviously a lot of stuff moving and shaking in Windows 10.
3: So, you know, I, I'm to be honest, I'm super excited for Windows, for, for Server 2016. I, I cannot wait to get, get my hands on when they release it. Um, well, even the next build.
0: Okay. what uh, is there anything specific that you're planning on testing out? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, fine, fine. you can't talk about it. That's fine.
3: <laughs> so, uh, let's wait and see soon. You will see some stuff, okay. Sounds good.
2: Hey, Dan, I'll give you a different point of view. It's, I really just haven't had time to mess with Windows 10 and even absorb it. But in meetings with customers, I've been really surprised by everyone's plans are to go to it soon. Like, you know how that whole thing about Microsoft has like a good OS and then a bad one? And this is kind of like the good one where people who made it to 7 um, are like, yeah, we're going to go to the 10 like soon, like Q1, Q2 next year. So there's something about the timing, the feature set, the not suckingness of it that a lot of people are ready to move to it. That's my main observation. There's that. already an
1: initiative where I am. Um, they just got off of Windows XP just this last year, and it was painful. There's still a Zen app Four. There's still a Presentation Server Four Five farm out there. There's still two thousand three servers out there with legacy apps on them that I don't know if we'll ever get rid of. But um, now all of a sudden here, which is in the past couple of weeks, they're like, Windows 10, now. Like, you're kidding, we just got done with Windows 8. No, Windows 10, now. So, uh, at least where I am, the, the sentiment is we got behind the 8-ball once, let's not get behind the 8-ball again.
3: So, that's the same I'm seeing, unfortunately, if we take Citrix, they haven't been fully supporting Windows 10. Um, I don't know, Dane, do you have any input on that?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, the 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 first little bit of uh, testing that I did with Windows 10, I found out all kinds of things break when you use the optimize VDA feature within Zen Desktop, uh, which I think just about every admin has it checked by default when they're doing installs, unless they're, you know, unless they're knowledgeable that they don't necessarily need to optimize. And just things like the, um, the, the database for the start menu completely breaks. When you go um, uh, optimize the VDA, it has something to do with search or indexing or something along those lines. Um, so that that was one thing. I also think right now uh, Windows 10 for non-persistent is completely not uh, prime time ready. Um, there there are just way too many issues as it relates to uh, profiles and folder redirection and good discussions uh, happening. Uh, uh, online, and he's written a couple blog posts. The uh, Absence Bigot um, has written a couple blog posts on you know why Windows 10 non-persistent doesn't make sense right now. Um, but I, I think just the ecosystem in general is still getting there, and Microsoft didn't make it easy for them this time around because a lot of the ways that um, profiles are being handled in Windows 10 break a lot of the, uh, the profile management solutions like Citrix Profile Management or um or Res or any of those guys. Exactly
3: Res Res is also definitely not preferred. Sure. That that's something I can I can add in. Uh, so I have some customers where they're waiting because they're also pushing hard. Like like you Chris. They're saying Windows ten, Windows 10, Windows 10. And uh, they you know they want to implement it. And but they're a Res customer and then you know Res is not even fully supporting uh, with their suite. Not yet soon will. Yep.
0: Now I, I do think uh, you know this is just my personal opinion. And I, I don't know if i go into a large enterprise and say yeah it's ready for production. Go do it. But just my general experience so far running Windows 10 in a persistent VDI it's actually been pretty solid. Um, you know particularly around Zen Desktop. I haven't done much testing with uh, Horizon 6 uh, with Win 10 VDI but Zen Desktop and Windows 10 is pretty solid. Uh, Windows 10 in a remote FX, Microsoft VDI type of context is is pretty solid. Even even things like uh, remote FX vGPU with NVIDIA Grid, that works pretty much right out of the box. So I, I think, you know, persistent is not nearly a, the challenge. I think non-persistent and probably uh, safe to say 2016 is going to be a real pain when it first comes out. So um, any other thoughts on Windows 10? Uh, I know there's some GPU stuff that needs to happen uh, to get that to where Thomas wants it to be. Uh, to yes. Publicly, publicly documented. No, it's I'm, actually,
3: today. I'm a bit disappointed in it because, you know, not because of Microsoft, but because of the ecosystem. So Microsoft actually, you know, they made a lot of good stuff. If you look at the the engine inside the Windows 10, where it's, uh, it's DX12, Dx, Dx, uh, and uh, they have optimized it, like, really a lot of, uh, with the code, which means standard applications are using the GPU much better. And also, you have multiple GPUs. It does it more intelligent. And a good example I can tell you is uh, so I, uh, if you look at the new, uh, let's say, the Microsoft uh, Surface Book, right, they have a, a two GPUs in, in, the, in the machine. And that's where, you know, even Windows 10 is is, is fully capable of, of using... Uh, the, the resource, uh, much more efficient. And that's something where it becomes quite interesting is, you know, the Windows is using. It's much better. But then how can we put get these systems out in the enterprises? Uh, yeah, well, Windows
1: what? might be able to use dual GPUs, but not all programs can. In fact, a lot don't. Uh,
3: well, it depends on how they are, are programmed. So, uh, yes, I would say... so. Okay, so some applications, yes, that's not the big change in how they consume the GPU, but others, there is. So if you look at AMD, what AMD is doing, and NVIDIA, they're doing a lot of uh, benchmarking of the drivers, how the drivers are working on Windows 10. And you can see, actually, that AMD, they've improved big time now, uh, coming back uh, with with better compatible drivers for applications and even games uh, where it's working much more efficient. And that's even with with nothing. Latest and greatest, but actually old, old GPUs. So I have done a lot of good stuff.
1: I'll put my disclaimer in there that I'm a gamer and I am a proud member of the PC master race, and you know, any of you (laughs) console peasants can just you know not say anything. Uh, (laughs) But on my on my PC builds, you know, I have been NVIDIA SLI forever and a day. I have been varying levels of happy with it and for the build that I'm planning uh, to upgrade next year, I I gotta say I am really on the fence as to whether or not I want to do SLI because it is so poorly supported in so many games and so many pro- heavy graphics
0: programs. Yeah, so we, we just need to get you one of those titans and you'll be good to go. If you need Yeah, more I'm, than a single I'm, I'm titan, going there. I think I'm going there. <laughs> if you need more than a single titan, uh, I would bow at your throne because that's that's a pretty badass setup, even just a single single Titan.
3: Yeah, exactly. So if you look at you know what's happening next year, that's VR is going to be huge, and Elon Hololens coming out in the first states, but that's going to use a lot of compute. And and so I've been, been you know been trying the Oculus, uh, both the DK2 and the DK1, and also the next one, and they're using incredible amount of GPUs. So. One of my friends, we actually been testing the he's running games with car casting later, right? And, and it, it's using free GPUs in a slide configuration, just good, good running smooth. Nice. Ouch. That just tells something about how much capacity you need to compute, which is insane.
0: I don't even want to know what his uh, heating and electric bill is. So that probably puts off quite a bit of heat. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, well, that leads up to after after we talk about the Windows Ten. So, what about Hololens? What do you guys? Uh, I like to hear what your views are, is on it. Uh,
0: not had any personal experience with it, uh, but uh, definitely like to to hear about it, see it. Um, they. Uh, um, one of our customers went down for a Microsoft Executive Briefing Center uh, day, EBC day. And they had it there, and so they came back with some feedback on it. Um, and you know, they're they're already thinking about applications a year to three years down the road of how hololens can be used in their their environment. But I'm I'm a spectator at this point. Haven't uh, haven't made any firm mind up on what I think about it in the enterprise specifically.
3: What, what, what
1: about you, Chris? I have to admit, I did not understand the question fully. So, what Microsoft Hololens
3: that augmented reality. Hololens,
1: okay, yeah. i <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, insert snide comment about accents here. Uh, Hololens, you know, I've some of the <laughs> stuff I've seen with it. Um, is uh, with the augmented reality and things like that about taking a Windows desktop and pro- project quote-unquote projecting it on a wall and interacting with it in that whole Minority Report way. I have to say, that's some cool stuff right there.
3: It, it
0: was, is. Did, so, did you guys see the demo? I don't remember if it was at Build or which one it was at, but they had this demo of Minecraft on a tabletop. With HoloLens. Did you guys see that one? Uh, I'll, I'll find a link to it and I'll paste the link into the into the crowd chat. It was absolutely unbelievable.
1: I, I can uh, imagine.
2: You know, all these things are fun, but the one that I thought was really the most practical were things like they were showing the demo of going into anatomy, learning the human body by walking through it, that kind of thing. That's where I think the real value is. Obviously, it's going to be fun, but you can teach and learn whole new ways with this.
3: Well, you, you could use it for anything. So I'll give you an example because I remember the first time I saw the, the commercials, what they were doing with it, it was even where you say, okay, now you go out to the kitchen and you need to fix something with the, the sink. And now, you know, you can just spin up a, a Skype call and then you got a professional guy looking at what you're doing and then he's pointing to the thing real time with the data. And I'm like, you know, that is that is so far out future. But now it's coming. I'm, sorry. I've, I'm sorry. I've simply
0: just... just been using Snapchat, so I
1: don't... <laughs> oh, I, okay, so I don't feel so bad going where I'm going, uh, you know, just because I'm that guy. Rule 34. Sorry? Rule 34. <laughs> okay. So, uh, okay. <laughs> you don't know what Internet Rule 34 is. No.
0: Sigh. He he's not been browsing on the dark webs like web. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean,
3: so the reason why I talk about it is because so so it's one of the wheels why Microsoft where they're going now, right? And it's 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 making why the other wheels are spinning. So a lot of the technologies what we work with also in end user computing is Windows 10, you know, soon server 2016, and a lot of stuff in Azure and. I think HoloLens is, is, is one of the things that we, you know, looks in. It's very innovative, but we also, you know, got to look at it and say, how does it fix into the stuff we work with? You know, is it ready also for remoting? And a lot of stuff. Very not, cool. I'm,
2: hey, Chris, I did just Google Rule 34. Just admit it, I don't know what it was. <laughs> and I, I have to say, it gives me the thought that this, this <laughs> might be the first internet to- technology that was not driven by porn, as far as I know. <laughs>
1: I, you know, I, I can, I won't admit to the fact that I can already think of a couple of applications, but you know, there's money to be made in such things. What? <laughs> oh. Well,
0: on, on that note, um, why don't we co- cover one last topic and then we will go ahead and wrap up. So, um, Thomas, I'll, I'll toss the puck over to you just because you're our, our resident, all things GPU. Uh, God, we all bow at your throne. Talk to us about uh, Grid 2.0 and, and what you're seeing, any, any testing that you've done, any conversations with customers. I think that's going to be the last of the, uh, the big updates for the last couple months. So, what, what are your thoughts on Grid 2.0? Yeah,
3: so in media, they have released a Grid 2.0, which is the next generation of Grid. So, they have uh, two new physical GPUs, which one is an M60 which is uh, twice the, the performance as, as a K, K2, which is the grid one O. And then they also released an M6 card, which is for Blade servers, and that's uh, 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 well, it's about half the, the size with the frame buffer, so that's, it has 8 gigabyte frame buffer, the M60 has uh, 16. Uh, the compute is 1500 on MX6, and then on the M60 it's 4096. Uh, so, you know, a lot of GPU g- g- goodness, uh, so it means we can have higher density and uh, so that's that's great, right? So uh, you can uh, actually put it on uh, on sense server or you can put it on, on vSphere and install mm-hmm. Grid 2.0 and um, you, you do you need to get some special servers that are, are supporting this because it, it needs more power uh, and that makes sense, you know, the more you're doing. Um, These high-end GPUs, it will also need special servers producing more power. But um, the thing, what NVIDIA have done now is they have now gone into becoming a software vendor. Yep. Um, And uh, they now now licensing the Grid 2.0. So they're coming with free license model, which is uh, the first model is is uh, what they call virtual PC, and then they have a virtual workstation and a virtual workstation extended. And uh, these are functionality depending on what you need to do. Um, and then you paid for that tier. You even paid for VGPU and GPU pass through. Yes, you pay for VGPU and GPU pass through. And I will repeat the last one again you pay for GPU pass through. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, th- I think you need to say it one more time. Can you say that one more time,
3: so, Thomas? <laughs> GPU pass through.
2: <laughs> so wait, Thomas, I get the feeling you don't like this whole licensing thing. Just guessing.
3: You know, I I, I like I really like NVIDIA. You know what they're doing, and I, I do understand why why they why where they're going with this model. They should have just, just done it with Grid 1.0 instead of introducing a lot license model where the, you know they they changed the entire industry, all the the markets out there, vendors software yeah. vendors, hardware vendors, everything, embracing GPUs for virtualization, and, you know, it's been hard work even in convincing people to, to adapt this GPU, and by putting in a license model, you know, I, I do understand why they're doing it. Um, I just missed they did it before. What is a bit, you know, there's a lot of uh, confusion there right now because the prices has not been, you know, what are, what are the prices for for the software? Um, right. So that's some of the things I can see my my, my client they're struggling with, because when they talk with they'll they talk with another you know Cisco or Fujitsu or whatever, and they also the prices they get the prices for the, for the for the chips, and then uh, they also got to get the prices for the BGPU or the the pass through, and that's where you know where they they're struggling a bit, and, and some have seen the prices, some got you know, let's let's just say the big eyes pop up in the eye, in the head, and and some run away. Uh, and, uh, and others say we need it, right? Yeah. Uh, what I'm a bit afraid of is it become a niche. You know, if the price comes so high that it, it goes one step back and it becomes a niche.
2: Well, well, Thomas, can you do you have a public price or is it not announced? I mean, do we have a pulp a ballpark of what we're talking about?
3: Uh, there is there there is no, no prices. There there is there's, you know on Twitter there was a guy uh, that that threw out the prices from some he saw in the channel but I'm also hearing you know different thing that that's not the price so I, I, I would not put my word on what the price is yes yeah, okay, just, just to
0: I say think we record on this podcast what the price is you know NVIDIA could change it um, so right right now it's it's very fluid and they're telling customers reach out to your channel partner for price so it's
2: basically how much money do you have <laughs> <laughs> I didn't
0: say that Steve I didn't say that.
2: <laughs> Well, but the point though, I wanted to make is that EUC is is layers of many technologies and products, yeah, and exactly. if it's a modest cost, it's fine because they're writing software and they're maintaining it. But if it's too high, as Thomas says, it makes it a niche, and okay. I think that'll be a future determination we'll make. You know, not today.
3: Yeah, I can say so. There, let's let's see. So there's some huge things right now, you know, happening. So AMD, you know, they announced multi-user GPU, which is a competitive product to Grid. You can have multiple people running on one physical card with AMD. It's not GA yet, but you know they, they announced that at VMWorld, and you know that's one thing they're working on. Intel is also working on on virtualizing the GPU, and you know the big question comes down to: Will Intel take money for the virtualization of the GPU? Will AMD do that, or will they make it free? Uh, the things I saw in public was that AMD announced uh, it will be free, the virtualization of it.
0: Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, the the industry needs to evolve just like anything, and time will tell on the, the whole licensing structure just, you know, what what price is reasonable, to Steve's point. Um, I, I think there was initial, for, for the customers that I worked with, that have had discussions that want that are already using Grid 1.0 that need to buy new cards that wanted to have a discussion about 2.0. Um, there there was an initial uh, sticker shock factor, um, but outside of that, I think that you know now the opportunity for uh, Nvidia to figure out what will the market bear and what is a reasonable price because you know Steve's point it is absolutely logical that. They have costs associated with developing this, and, you know, at the end of the day, NVIDIA is a hardware and software company, and a lot of their IP is in the software. So it, it makes sense. Uh, you know, large OEMs like Dell and HP and EMC and others, they pay for updates to their firmware and drivers as part of support, support maintenance. So it, it makes sense. It's just a question of what is the market willing to bear?
3: Well, that, that's that's true, but if you look at also Quadro, which is f- professional, right? And if you put in a in a in a server and you're using pass-through, you're not paying for it yet. Correct. You, you still got to put that in mind. And and I, I do like what NVIDIA is doing with the VGPU, but you can also look, you know, Microsoft, that VGPU, which is totally different, right? Um, because, that, you know, that's API, and, and but I'm also like, you know, well, Will Microsoft compete against the model, or you know that's something where I'm a bit. Uh, let, let, let's see what will be, be happening. Um, yeah. What I do like, so let let me give some good feedback, right? So the, the stuff looks really good, okay. And uh, I, I just last actually yesterday I talked with a client where they lose l- a lot of Linux, and uh, they they have just embraced Grid uh, for the last uh, six months, and, I, and and super super happy. And now they want to to put out Grid for the Linux. And and the Grid 1.0 is actually limiting uh, the the, the Linux because you can only use pass-through. And the Grid 2.0 platform actually enables vGPU for Linux. So that's quite interesting that you have high density Linux workload uh, working with the platform. And that's something where I think we would be seeing a lot of interest in the platform also.
0: I think it's great stuff. i uh, definitely love to see how the market evolves in that way. I mean, you know, to go back to our friend Citrix, their first release of the Linux VDA uh, didn't have any graphics acceleration. And the the market is starting to come around to the fact that we need uh, Linux in the data center uh, hosted for our applications and, and desktops. And GPUs is always going to be a component of that. Um, Horizon 6, of course, has GPU or 3D support for their Linux uh, agents. And I know there's other products out there, like uh, Thomas, you've worked with Nice and, and others that maybe, I don't know if Virtual Bridges does uh, does 3D, uh, but there's definitely other players on the market that do Linux VDI. And um, they're not all limited to uh, two-dimensional or, or non-GPU accelerated. So exactly. it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the market evolves.
3: Definitely. Will. So the last thing I just want to add is, so the grid tool is also, it's built on the Tesla platform, so it means it's high-performance computing, and, and when you get the card, actually it comes with high-performance computing enabled, you need to change it from HPC to visualization.
2: Okay. This is
3: really cool, that you can actually use it for HPC, so, you know, imagine people are working in the daytime with visualization, shut down the host, and then you switch it over to HPC mode, and then you crunch numbers. That's something you can do with the grid tool platform.
2: Can we mine for Bitcoins while the users go home?
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, I'm way ahead of you on that one.
3: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, listen, guys, I think this has been a, a really great discussion. Uh, there's definitely been a ton of interaction on Twitter. I, I love seeing everybody jumping in and uh, you know speaking their mind and bringing up different topics that either we forgot to bring up or just... Adding to the discussion. So, um, thank you guys for jumping on the podcast with me today. Um, For any first time listeners out there, you can find all the information about this podcast uh, at www.eucpodcast.com. We also have a Twitter account set up at EUC Podcast as well as the hashtag hashtag EUC Podcast. Um, So, thank you guys for uh, helping me record our fifth installment. Fifth episode of the EUC podcast. Uh, look forward to talking to you soon, and have a have a great week. Thank you. <laughs>